Wow, wow, wee wow, quoting Borat for those of you who have not seen it. Okay, Whew. what a roller coaster of a day we had today. Um, quick pre roll because we have a fantastic interview here coming up, but got to show some love to our sponsors here. Uh, first and foremost, Main Street Pharmacy, right in Blacksburg. Lord Dr. Jeremy Counts, always taking care of the Blacksburg community, cares about you. You see the watermark on the bottom of our videos. You see him ripping the picture of Matt Ryan on the website. Give him a visit. He has all of your COVID-19 needs. If you are a student, if you are a resident, if you are a teacher in the Blacksburg, New River Valley area, don't go to these large chains. Check out Jeremy Counts at Main Street Pharmacy. He has you in good hands. Aside from that, we got David Hale joining the podcast today. A David Hale joint. David Hale is an ESPN ACC writer covering the ACC for quite some time now. He uh, went to school at the University of Delaware, then got his master's at Syracuse, spent some time at Boston University. Um, you may know him as formerly as the Va Tech guy. So had a great conversation with him around some of the storylines in the ACC. We did record this after the Caleb Farley news dropped. We did recruit, record this after the new schedule came out. So very relevant. That is why we are getting it out to you as quickly as possible. This podcast is also brought to you by the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry. If you need reconstruction of the jaw, if you need any type of oral surgery, Dr. John Cran has that base covered for you. Check him out at the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry. And if you need teeth whitening, teeth bleaching, let him know that the sun sent you 50% off, just like that. And one last one, the website. Doing fantastic. The top 50 Hokies list is rocking. It is rolling. We had a fantastic all hands with our scribes the other night. I want to shout out to each and every one of them for the fantastic work that they are all doing. And bet you thought that I wouldn't be able to get three, but we're getting three. Shout out to Sharkies. Go get your cups, the glasses. They got the logo. Take some pics. Send in the pics. We love the pics. Um, sons of Be Socially Distant. Be smart. Take care of yourself. And um, without further ado, here is the 555 followed by David Hale Joint. Welcome, everybody. July 29th, 6, 10, and 38 seconds. We have an emergency podcast. Uh, we are joined by ESPN's own David Hale, uh, the ACC specialist for ESPN. And funny enough, back uh, when we scheduled this talk, first message from uh, Mr. Hale, hey, looking forward to it. Hope we have some football to talk about. And here we are where the ACC is front and center in the college football world. Um, everything is happening, and it's happening fast. New schedule across the ACC. We'll dive into that. First player opts out of the college football season. Caleb Farley, may have heard of him. He plays cornerback at Virginia Tech. He's pretty good. So going to cover all of those topics. But, Pat, give us a brief introduction here, and let's get this started. Yeah, so if you guys are not familiar with, uh, with David Hale, uh, he's been at ESPN since 2012 covering the ACC uh, you might be familiar with him on Twitter at a David Hale joint, and uh, you know Virginia Tech fans know him as the guy that refers to us as VaTech, and uh, we can we can kind of jump into that a little bit later on and uh, and give you some trouble there. But uh, David, welcome to the show, man. Uh, thanks for having me, all. I appreciate it. It's been um, you know a day, so happy to, to uh, unwind and unpack some of this. Absolutely. So. We'll kind of break this out into a couple parts here. Uh, we could talk about Caleb Farley. We could talk about the new schedule, how Notre Dame is figuring out. And then we have, uh, have some letters from the lunch pail as well uh, submitted from Twitter. But citing family health concerns, you know, a lot of uncertainty about this upcoming season. Caleb Farley will not be participating in the 2020 year. And uh, I guess what are your initial thoughts and what's your initial reaction and uh, you know, do you think this is the first domino? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the NFL, this is already happening with quite a few bigger name guys. Um, so not entirely surprised that this is the case at all. Uh, with Caleb, you know, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Number one, he's already in 
you know, star mode, right? I mean, he's his numbers last year, he's going to have trouble building upon them very much. Uh, I think NFL kind of realizes who he is. Um, there is a lot of refinement, I think, to his game that still needs to happen. Uh, and that sort of just comes to the fact that he's relatively new to the position. He's really only been playing for a couple of years now. Um, but the the probably the bigger issue um, is just look. I mean, he's his his mother passed away at a very young age. I think he's very keenly aware of what uh, the potential health concerns might be. Um, I don't think he has a lot to to lose by sitting out. And, and then you look at the fact that you know this is already a crazy schedule. Who knows what's going to quite happen in terms of games that get played. And he's got a new defensive coordinator with a new defensive scheme. Why risk it? It makes no sense. He has much more to, to lose by playing, I think, than by sitting out at this point. I think also everything kind of got sped up today. I know when I woke up, you know, this, I thought the big story of the day was going to be essentially everybody that plays for the Patriots is opting out of the, the season this year. Uh, Nate Solder also opted out this uh, for the season this year. And also what's going on with the MLB. So as this kind of sports came back, you're looking at basketball and you're looking at soccer and you're saying, okay, like, you know, this is going pretty well. And the NBA had their second round of testing come back with uh, all negative tests. But there's so much uncertainty with football. There's not going to be a bubble system that you can implement with college athletes. I keep reading that on Twitter. I mean, there's no way that you can lock these kids down in in one location uh, and expect them to handle their schoolwork as well. Um, so everything kind of sped up today. And again, I think this is definitely the first domino, but in terms of other, um, of other storylines, Pat kind of run down what else, uh, came out at a high level here from the ACC. Definitely interesting. Cause the Farley news, I think broke at like 420. The ACC schedule may have come out at 430 or 435. So, uh, I, I didn't know which, which news to look out first, but, uh, the ACC schedule is out. And a little bit of realignment. I know a lot of people were talking about the pods, and there's no pods. It's all going to be, you know, uh, you play 10 ACC teams, and then you get one non-con. And the top two winning percentages will go to the ACC championship game, which will be played on the 12th of December or on the 19th of December. So a lot up in the air there. There's going to be two bye weeks, and Notre Dame – has joined the party. So that should be very interesting. But also, David, I want to ask you this, because I think it was yesterday or the day before we heard that the ACC, you know, was kind of delaying their meetings another week. Uh, Did you hear anything going on earlier this morning that an announcement was actually coming this afternoon? No, everything that I heard was very up in the air. And I think it genuinely was for a while. There was a, a contingent of folks who had no plan of what they wanted to do, which I think this largely reflects. Uh, there was a contingent of folks that said, hey, let's hold off. But I, I think at the end of the day, what, what the ACC wanted to do was get ahead of the game to, to sort of be dictating a, a plan uh, to the rest of the country, namely the, AC, uh, the SEC. You know, if, if, if you kick the can on this, the SEC comes up with their game plan. Um, that largely dictates to the ACC what they're going to do. I don't know that the ACC is dictating anything to the SEC, but it certainly is at least setting a template. So that the SEC, it's sort of on them to say, like, okay, yeah, we want to play these games too. Or, all right, we'll take the responsibility for the fact that these games aren't being played and piss off a lot of fans along the way. Um, so, I, you know, look, I, I think everything that I've heard when talking to people is that nobody wants to make immediate decisions. Everybody wants to push things off to the last possible minute because I think everybody's kind of hoping things will change for the better. Whether or not that actually ever ends up being the case, I don't know. But we're we're kind of – creeping up on on the end of our runway here and these decisions have to be made and I think this was the right move this was the right starting point now how many of those 11 games get played uh does the SEC agree how many guys opt out um what it's going to take for some of these other teams that just lost their non-conference to find another non-conference game um man your guesses are as good as mine because I think there's just so much that's still up in the air this is you know, this is a pin we're putting in a document and saying like, okay, well, this is the plan for right now and we'll come back to it. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what's coming next. And then no games are going to be played before September 7th, which is different from Big 12 as Oklahoma, you know, moved up their season to uh, August 29th uh, for their week one. But with out-of-conference games, now every single ACC school, if they want to play this 11th game versus an out-of-conference opponent, they have to play it against a team that is based out of an ACC state. So, you know, Massachusetts, 
Pennsylvania, uh, Virginia, North Carolina, you know, you know the deal there. Virginia Tech is playing Liberty week one on September 5th. So you'd assume that would be moved to, you know, after September 5th. Do you think a school like Virginia Tech who has Liberty is going to maybe cancel the game with Liberty and try to go for, you know, a more sexy football game? Or, you know, what what do you think some of these schools who have these, um, you know, non-Power 5 or non-G5 uh, schools scheduled are going to do? No, I mean, I think the Liberty game actually makes a good bit of sense for Virginia Tech. You know, Liberty being an independent, their whole – their whole schedule is sort of up in the air right now. Um, so they pretty much desperately need the game. Uh, I don't think it makes a ton of sense for schools to buy out contracts, it, which may well be the case. I mean, litigation here is a buzzword that I've been hearing a lot that, that ADs are worried about what they're going to have to pay to not play games that were previously on the schedule. And, and I know you can kind of uh, argue act of God force majeure, but it's hard to kind of make that case when, you are still playing some games and just not those games. Uh, and then, you know, look, without fans in the stands, which is, I think, more likely the case than not, uh, at the very least, we're going to have diminished capacity. I think it's going to become very – it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to go and try and schedule a marquee game that uh, would normally be about selling tickets when you can't sell tickets anyway. Not to mention the fact that, you know, and, and this next section is more so – I just wrote down a bunch of question marks or interesting points from what happened because I don't know what the heck else to do here. But since they're going based upon winning percentage, those that means two things to me. Is there's really not an incentive, like you just said, to schedule a difficult opponent um, when you're going to want to win all of your ACC games. Another thing with the team going with based upon winning percentage was something that Bill Simmons was talking about with baseball is if there are canceled games, let's say Clemson for some reason misses – four or five games, but their winning percentage is still, they win every game, but miss all their difficult games. Does that mean they're still in? Is there a minimum amount that they're going to have to play in order to do that? I mean, if Boston college plays two games and then they're ineligible and they've won both of those games and they have a hundred percent winning percentage, are they in the ACC championship? I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. know how they're going to break that down. Uh, have you heard anything I, about that at all? I've not heard because I don't think they want to have to imagine yeah. that scenario. Um, look, the bottom line is uh, this is almost inevitable. And, you know, we I remember talking to Dave Cutcliffe a couple of weeks ago and, and this is, he was like, I, I, frankly, I'd be shocked if the season goes along and nobody has to cancel games. Um, you know, the, the, the virus almost is sort of beside the point to the, the overall conversation of the likelihood of, of games being canceled. It's the quarantine, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you get one asymptomatic player test positive and if he's on your offensive line, there's effectively no way you can play football games after that because your exactly. entire O-line group is going to be quarantined for potentially two full weeks. So I just, you know, you can come up with a lot of what ifs. And this is sort of the, 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 the holding pattern that, that we've all been in since March is that you say, well, what if we came up with this plan? And what if we did this plan? And what if we did this? And some of the plans start to make sense at first, as I think this ACC plan does. But then – once you say, all right, well, this is what we're going with, then you have to start asking the follow-up questions, which are questions exactly like the one you just asked. And frankly, there's just not an answer to it. And like you said, I mean, the Philadelphia Phillies, so they uh, recently played the Marlins who have an outbreak of their own. And even though all of the Phillies tested, uh, tested negative, since it has a uh, incubation period of 14 days, the Phillies, even though they've all tested negative, are not going to be able to play. So for example, if one offensive lineman tests positive more than likely you're going to have to say okay everybody that you know you were in the meeting rooms with or everyone that you're interacting with or speaking with and every day you're essentially out of commission and then what is is Trey Turner playing offensive tackle I mean who knows who knows what's going on so well, I mean, and that, that's there's legitimate safety issues with a lot of that too I mean are guys taking extra reps that they shouldn't have to take mm-hmm. um I mean not not just virus safety issues but just general physical safety issues that come with that are you are you putting your quarterback in harm's way because the third string offensive tackle has to play because the first two are, are quarantined? Yep. Um, you know, the, I think everybody's trying to set up a scenario that can work, but can work and will work are two very, very different concepts right now. And it's going to, you know, uh, something that coaches always talk about are having, you know, everybody you're too deep understand the playbook. It's going to be to the point where you might need your 
fourth or fifth string whatever to know the playbook inside and out and you're going to have to have plays that you know you can call I, you can you can go back and forth on all these topics forever until you drive yourself crazy but some of the other ones that i have here um this is the one caveat that i thought was very interesting and honestly a positive for the acc before all this happened we were basically going to ask you like, look the acc has kind of been the laughing stock of conferences uh by the pac-12 and just always kind of dropping the ball here and you know beating the hell out of each other and getting the hell beat out of them by other conferences. But in my opinion, this is the best the ACC has looked in a decade in terms of teams that are up. UNC is going to be up this year. Pittsburgh, Louisville, Florida State, Miami probably, um, Virginia Tech, and now you add Notre Dame. This is a real opportunity with an ACC-only schedule to really showcase – the talent across this conference. Um, and I do think that it's a lot, a lot higher and the ceiling's a lot higher and some of the quality of these games are going to be incredible. What, what do you think in terms of positives for the ACC in general uh, for this ACC only schedule? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've been, I've been hyping Pitt all off season as sort of the team that I like and all we know. Pittsburgh, <laughs> yeah. but all the, all the, Pitt, all the Pitt fans are like, yeah, no, it makes sense. makes sense. We're going to be really good this year because we probably won't end up actually playing any games this year because mm-hmm. and that fits perfectly with the Pitt mm-hmm. uh, narrative. But I mean, no, I think, I think you're right. I mean, uh, last year was bad. It was ugly, but it was ugly in a lot of ways because I think programs were finding their footing. I mean, you know, Carolina and Louisville were not great last year, but they made huge strides. Uh, Florida State was terrible last year, but it was terrible to the point that they had to make a change at, at coach, and I think they're better off because of it. Um, you know, uh, how how good is Virginia Tech or Miami and, and some of the other, like, per, you know, teams that were sort of on the periphery of being good last year? I mean, certainly you look at the way Miami ended last year and you don't feel great, but it forces them to go out and get the Eric King. Um, and, you know, the other thing about this is, too, is, like, who sits out? Who are we even seeing play? Um, you know, Farley, of course, is a, is a, is a big domino. I mean, that dude's really good. Uh, but this is sort of when you start talking about all the, the advantages that the SEC has. I would, if I was a betting man, to say, like, which league loses the most players to sitting out, well, I'd be pretty shocked if it's not the SEC uh, because those are the guys with probably the most secure draft stock. Um, you know, does does Trevor Lawrence decide not to play for Clemson? Because if that happens, who the hell knows what ends up happening with the ACC? Um, I, I think to some degree, to, to answer your question, it's almost a shame that we're not getting something of a more traditional schedule because I do think there's an opportunity for a handful of teams in this league this year to be at least very interesting, if not very good. Now, the big fascinating asterisk to all that is what's happening with Notre Dame. Um, I would venture to guess that this is strictly a one-year agreement that is the best possible scenario Notre Dame could come up with in a time in which they didn't have a whole lot of leverage and will not lead to anything more than that. But you never know. You know, sometimes it's like you you start rocking the vending machine and you got to push it a few times. This feels like a pretty good push that maybe knocks it over. And maybe it doesn't knock it over for 2021 or 2022, but when we start talking about the playoff contract being renewed, a new TV contracts coming up. Having a little bit of a test case with Notre Dame, I think can only help the prospects of, of making this a full-time thing at some point down the road. And Pat, uh, you know, not to, not to step on your toes here a little bit, but Notre Dame is locked into a, a, a contract until 2025. So, you know, again, it's, I'm curious to see what we're able to come up with. And we'll get into Notre Dame in a second here. A couple last points that I have before I, I pass it over to Pat here is I'm interested to see if the NCAA comes up. I, I'll rephrase that. I'm interested to see if the NCAA does the right thing here um, in terms of kids that do decide, hey, it's not best for me to play, um, but aren't necessarily going to go to the league. If you have a sophomore, or you have a junior whose parents live close or who just frankly doesn't feel comfortable playing this year, are they sacrificing that year of eligibility? Um, are they going to be able to get some sort of red shirt or some sort of waiver? If the season is moved to the spring, are they going to be able to delay their eligibility? So again, I think, you know, the NCAA is in a very similar position where, you know, they're not going to pigeonhole themselves into making a decision or, or tying themselves down to anything. But, you know, do you have any idea on uh, ideas being kicked around in terms of player eligibility here? I- I'm surprised if they actually follow the model they followed for spring sports, but it was really not the panacea I think everybody thought it was going to be. 
where every coach that I've talked to or AD that I've talked to has said, we're going to honor scholarships for this year, whether you play or not. That mm-hmm. should have been a given. I think the NCA will say like, yeah, okay, if you didn't play this year, your eligibility will continue as required or as would have been the case before. But where you run into problems is you've got a whole recruiting class coming in and numbers are what they are. Just because NCA says, yeah, all right. So, uh, you know, your senior decided not to play this year. He can come back again next year. Does not mean that they're expanding the roster, the scholarship numbers from 85 to something else. So now you're, it's on your coach and your program to decide, well, what's the value of me keeping this player and what is that costing me for the next four years by a recruit I can't sign? Uh, and that I think we saw already a lot with some of the spring sports, which I don't, you know, people aren't paying as close attention to, but scholarships are often much more limited there. And a lot of the people that, that the NCA said, yeah, come on back again next year. The school said, sorry, we ain't got room for you. So I think even if the NCA does the right thing, what we're going to end up seeing is a lot of players that are told like, you had a good run. I hope you enjoyed it, but um, see you later. We appreciate your time. And then a whole lot of players saying, well, I guess I'm going into the transfer portal because there's probably not a roster spot for me here. Yeah, and I guess the last one that I really looked at and um, was curious about is since there's no schedule by date, not even knowing what teams you play, and they listed the the dates that it's going to go as the weeks of September 7th <laughs> to December 5th. So, you know, are we going to see football ga- a football game – a night where you're able to showcase a game every single day. Will we be playing Tuesday football, Wednesday football, Thursday football? You know, if you think about, you look at the way that this is done and Pat's going to get into the geography of it here. um, It's hard to think that this is done as the safest model possible. When you see how far some of these teams are traveling and I understand there's only so much you can do, but you know, you have a bunch of really good matchups being squeezed in here. There are no matchups with Southern Alabama or uh, Liberty. You're going to have one of those maybe. Um, and I, I'm assuming that the ACC is going to want to have as many of these games on a prime network at a prime time slot as they can. So I'm interested to see what days that they do play uh, and how they work out that schedule. Well, I think, you know, there's a few things there. Number one, the, the key buzzword that I keep hearing from everybody is flexibility. Yep. I mean, it's Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of like, let's maximize our, our eyeballs, our viewing audience. But some of it might be like, well, um, our, uh, half our team's quarantined for another two days. Maybe we need to play on a Wednesday. Um, so I, I think those things come into to play. But again, if we're not talking about fans in the stands, then every decision should be made about how do you make the most money off of TV? How do you have the most TV viewers? How do you work with your TV network partners uh, as closely as possible to make things work? But the other thing that we've seen uh, throughout this entire last six months has been you have a very diffuse leadership structure in college sports and what's good for one team or one league is not always good for the other and trying to get them all on the same page is often just a nightmare scenario. So, I mean, you have programs that will be adamant that we play Saturdays and that's all we play. And then there's teams like Virginia Tech that have have largely made a, built a a fan base around playing on Thursdays and Fridays over the years. So, you know, I think anything's possible in this, in this season, uh, I think the problem is going to be, or the headache is going to be trying to get everybody to agree on the right thing to do. And and going off flexibility, having two bye weeks is not uh, uncommon, but do you think those two bye weeks are going to have flexibility? They're not going to be fixed, rather they will be variable and can be moved around? It's tough because scheduling is just such a nightmare to, to work out, even in the best of times. So I think there'll be some flexibility in it, a lot like you would have with a hurricane game uh, at the beginning, which we seem to have every, you know, August, September, uh, first couple of weeks of the season, where you say, all right, well, hurricane had to wipe out a game this weekend. Let's see, can we reschedule something for what would have been the bye week? And I think that we'll see some of that. Um, but that's also always assuming like the same teams have the same bye weeks and it, and it all matches up right. And even then, you know, I think the window for moving things around becomes very problematic, too, because uh, as we have really seen with this virus, as soon as you plug one hole, another one or two or three pop open. So uh, I think, yeah, I mean, the the extra bye week helps with some flexibility. I would be curious to see how much it actually ends up mattering in practice, though. And then last question about this kind of uh, schedule ordeal here, just of how 
wacky it is and i guess not even wacky but it's it's just a lot of it's very different it's unusual and uh, it'll take some time to get used to geography uh, you know we move uh, virginia tech removed georgia tech from the schedule and we added in clemson we added in nc state and our game with boston college remains the same boston college removed florida state and they removed wake forest which are traditionally two teams that they play every year uh, in the atlantic division did geography have anything to do with this scheduling? Because it seems like you would think it does, but I mean, Notre Dame's got to go all over the, all over the country mm. essentially because they're you know somewhere in Middle America. Um, so that that's one thing to think about. But also, I really want to hone in on divisions. The divisions are essentially canceled for 2020. Is this a trial run precursor God, to the end of I divisions? I hope so. I really, <laughs> really hope so. I think particularly in this league, it makes so much sense where, I mean, the powers that be like, everybody's like, well, you never know one year to the next, who's going to be good. Yes, you do. It's Clemson and Florida state. They got more money to spend than everybody else and putting them in the same division makes no sense. Um, But moreover, I mean, look, will I miss coastal chaos when the, when that finally does go away? Yeah, but this is also the perfect time to do it, right? We had seven different coastal winners in seven years. Let's do away with it for good now. <laughs> it should retire on that high note. Uh, look, yeah, I mean, my, my, I certainly hope that – and I, I've heard this from a lot of uh, ADs uh, that as much as all of this stinks and they don't want to have to do all of this, it has been an opportunity to take a step back and say, well, what can we do? What can we tweak? What can we change? What can we do to make things work? And then once you've done them, all of the arguments about why it wouldn't work or what it was going to be a problem before go away because you actually have it there. It's in black and white. You know, you can see it. So uh, to answer the first part of your question, I do think geography played some role. I think, you know, it's sort of making the best of a bad situation. It's a little bit like, you know, driving 90 miles an hour down the wrong way on a one-way road, but, but using your blinker because at least you can do that, right? So this is – I think there's a little bit of that going on. Um, but my hope is, yeah, I mean, let's, let's, let's nix these divisions. Let's get teams playing each other more often. I mean, when, when Wake and Carolina have to schedule a non-conference game against each other, they're oh, an hour God. apart, and they, they have to schedule a non-conference game to play. That's insane, and we shouldn't have that system. Also, you know, and this is, this is, this is what's frustrating as a Tech fan and should be frustrating as well if you're a Miami fan or a Pitt fan or a North Carolina fan is you've been in this position where every year, essentially, you get to bypass Florida State and you get to bypass Clemson. And no team in the Coastal has been able to figure it out. No team has been able to gain uh, you know, steam and kind of establish themselves as the head honcho in the Coastal since Virginia Tech was really doing it in the early 2010s and uh, the 2000s. So um, it's definitely kind of a missed opportunity for everybody. But the way I look at it is, look, you want the best teams in the conference to play each other. Louisville's a solid ad. Um, Florida State, Clemson, I mean, I, I want to play the best. I, I think it makes the conference look better um, and leads to a more competitive ACC championship. So I think that's definitely something that I hope we, uh, we move on into. Um, but going ahead and doing that, let's go ahead and tier uh, these teams as we, as we look into it. So, uh, you know, we'll start with you, David. Who do you think is a legitimate content uh, or who do you think is a, a favorite for the ACC championship as is right now. Again, assuming we're talking about all the players playing. Exactly. Big if, as is. Uh, I mean, Clemson stills hands down, I think the best team. Um, I would probably put Notre Dame at number two at this point. Um, yes. I'm not exactly sold on Notre Dame. I think they sort of are who they are. We saw who they were against Clemson a couple of years ago in the postseason and not much has changed since then in my opinion but Notre Dame they're fine they're a a talented team that's not going to lose a bunch of games they shouldn't lose uh they're physically going to be able to challenge pretty much anybody in this league but to me they're not on the same tier with with Clemson um and then you look at like well who has the opportunity like let's say Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne don't play what would that mean for who else might be able to contend with Clemson I, I think Carolina's close uh, I'm not sure they're quite there, but they're close. Uh, I think Louisville might be a little further away than, than Carolina was. Louisville's offense is legit, but their yep. defense, I think, has some bigger question marks. 
Uh, and then again, you know, it's hard to say with Virginia Tech. I mean, look, part of the reason that I really liked Virginia Tech coming into this year is because of Caleb Farley. I mean, I think their defense was was potentially a lockdown unit where their secondary was really going to help sort of bring along, I think, the defensive front, which was probably the weak part of the defense. That takes a blow right now. And I think we're going to see that around the league. So, uh, I, But I, I look at a team like Pittsburgh, who I have, have been high on all offseason because they're so – good on defense i mean they've got a back end that certainly rivals what virginia tech puts out there but their defensive line i mean they've got four nfl guys that that should be playing on that starting on that defensive front so you put them in any game i think they're going to give opposing offenses a really hard time and then if you imagine this scenario in which clemson's offense isn't led by trevor lawrence but led by you know potentially a freshman quarterback very good one but a freshman nonetheless uh, and they don't have Travis Etienne. They've got, you know, whoever else they might end up having out there. Pittsburgh, at least, I think Pittsburgh could go out and win your win itself some twelve to nine ball games. Yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting again. And there are some, you know, sleepers. Who knows what's gonna happen with Miami? Who knows what's gonna have with happen with Florida State? Two extremely talented rosters that, you know, if they can just get some leadership and uh, some good coaching here, um, you know, obviously gets great talent in every single year. Um, so do you have any sleepers or any programs that are on the rise that you, that you're eyeing, uh, regardless of not just this season, but into the future? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm calling NC state a sleeper. Uh, I think everything that could have gone wrong for NC state last year did go wrong. Um, that's a better program than they showed last year. They had horrible turnover luck. They had horrible injury luck. Uh, they didn't really settle on a quarterback until the last few games of the year. I would expect if we were playing a regular season, I'd have NC State at probably six wins, um, which I think is you know a, a pretty good step up from them from where they are. I think Miami almost has to be better by default. That was a a brutal situation, at least on the offensive side of the ball, not just personnel wise, but but I think chemistry wise, there was just a lot of folks that didn't get along there, uh, and their defense is still really good. So. Um, you know, I could see either of those teams probably improving by three, four wins, maybe if we were playing under normal conditions. Now, what happens under abnormal conditions? I mean, is Florida State, if you're Marvin Wilson, do you really want to go out there and play during all of this? If you're Tamari and Terry, I mean, that was one of the big keys of Florida State is, oh, they're getting two of their best players came back despite the fact that, you know, they were draft eligible and, and were highly thought of guys. Well, you know, now, I don't know. Do they still do that? Does Travis Etienne still do that? I, I think that's really where the big question marks lie. But, I, you know, look, I, I would I would say the beauty of, of this for, for a team like NC State is they are young. Um, they'll get to play this season and, the, and probably get most of those guys back. It's a good experience season for them where there's less of an expectation. They have an opportunity to exceed expectations and they'll get most of those guys back. You know, Carolina's in a little bit of that situation with Sam Howe, too. I mean, he's still got two more years left. All the guys that are sort of, if you're if, if your key players are juniors or seniors right now, I think you got to be a little bit concerned. And then let's talk about quarterbacks because, you know, you got Ian Book in the mix now. Who would have thought that Ian Book, you know, would be one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC? Uh, Sam Hartman will now get to start the entire year for Wake Forest. Uh, De'Ara King at Miami. And then, the uh, the Kenny Pickett versus Hendon Hooker. I see a lot of uh, Twitter battles about who's better as well. But what are your thoughts on the quarterback play this year? Because you do have like a solid six, seven, eight quarterbacks uh, in the league. Uh, I may be uh, touting Pitt this offseason, but I'll take Hendon Hooker and the Kenny Pickett-Hendon Hooker battle uh, for what it's worth. Uh, you know, Hooker is an interesting one because I think we saw some very good things from him last year. I don't think we saw like sort of the uh, the governor being removed. I think we saw what he could do in uh, within the box of of tools that he was given to work with, um, and I think he improved as the year went along too. Those are all good positive signs. I really want to see him take that next step. And I think it's you know look until you see him do it, you don't really know. I think he's capable of it. Uh, I really like a lot of the weapons that he's got around him on offense if they can get a running game. I mean, this to me has always been the thing with Virginia Tech. I mean, how long has it been since they had a really consistent ground game that helped out a quarterback? I mean, usually the quarterback has had to be the ground game too. So uh, I'm relatively high on Hendon Hooker. I, I, I would probably put him in the top half of the league, certainly. I mean, look, I, I think if I'm ranking my QBs, clearly Trevor Lawrence is number one. I think clearly Sam Howell is number two. Both of those guys are going to play a lot of Sundays in the future. Um, 
I think Mikhail Cunningham had a really good year for Louisville last year. How much of that was sort of a product of the offensive system versus he's really a legit guy who's going to build on that? I think that's still a little bit of an open-ended question. Can he pick him? I feel like we know who he is, right? We've seen him a ton. I, I've not been impressed by a whole lot of it. Um, you know, I, then you got you know the handful of transfers. I, look, I, I am. I, if we don't play this season, one of the biggest reasons I will be disappointed is because I really wanted to see what happened with Derek King at, at Miami. I think he is, if not in all of college football, he's clearly in the ACC. The most intriguing, interesting. Wonder what's going to happen with this uh, player because. Two years ago at Houston, he was as unstoppable as it gets. Um, meanwhile, Miami has been an offensive black hole for God knows how long now. Um, it would have been fascinating. I hope we get to see at least a little bit of it. So I, I would probably say my top three are Lawrence Howell, and I guess I would say Book at number three, but I think there's certainly room for uh, Dear King to work his way into that conversation. You mentioned um... – you mentioned development and mentioned growth. I, I think that's one thing that, you know, people need to be cognizant of is people don't talk about how important spring football is, uh, especially yeah. with young, with young teams and quarterbacks that are looking to take that next step, uh, especially Sam Howell and Hendon Hooker, um, you know, guys that, you know, Hendon Hooker stepped into a situation where he was running and practicing an offense that had to be tailored for him when he started playing. And he didn't get the spring. The offensive line isn't getting the spring. The wide receivers aren't getting the spring. And that's across all of college football. And to take that a step further, you're losing one to two games where you're playing against, you know, a North Texas or a Tennessee State or, you know, whoever, where you get a little bit of a tune-up. And in a condensed fall, I mean, we're in in store for some – potentially really, really ugly football for the first couple of weeks. Um, and I think people need to, need to understand that I was, I'm in a group chat with all my buddies from high school and everyone's like, oh, I can't wait to, you know, get to FanDuel and DraftKings and, you know, I'm going to do it, but yeah, right. there, I'm going to throw my I'm, money away, but I'm not going to feel good about it. I'm going to do it, but there's no way that you can put your finger down on some of this stuff. I mean, there's no way you can predict what's going to happen here. Well, you know, I talked to a couple of coaches who are like, look, this is, you know, there's programs that, where there's new coaching staffs. Florida State is is a good example where it's like, uh, you didn't practice. You have not practiced together yet. We're almost to August and these guys have not had a practice together yet. You're going to be at best hoping to have installed your, your basics and then one or two little flares that you can throw out there when you need to and hope that works. We're going to be looking at some very vanilla, rudimentary, fundamental type of, of offensive football, certainly. Uh, but then the flip side of that, too, is, as you said, these, these guys didn't have a normal workout season. It's not just about the spring practice. It's about all the other stuff that you do, getting together for seven and sevens, working out with your strength coach. I, I talked to a coach the other day who said, you know, we're probably doing fitness-wise – we're probably at about 70% of where we were yet last Mm -hmm. year. And he said, you know, even that though is sort of an unfair uh, expression of it because there's some guys that are very close to exactly where they were at, or maybe even ahead of where they were at last year because they had access to, to weights and conditioning. They're, they're very driven, hardworking guys that were, were going to do the right things. Um, And then you have other guys who are just a friggin' mess, you know, and, and, I don't, they're certainly not going to tell us who those people are individually. I'm guessing if we are allowed out of the practice at any point, which is another big question, we might see some of it, but there's going to be guys who are just not, you know, look, we're all, we're all, you guys uh, more recently than me, but we were all 19, 20 and 21 recently. And, uh, you know, it's, you don't always spend an off season when you don't have somebody looking over your shoulder, uh, doing all the things that you might otherwise have been doing. Yeah, exactly. There's a uh, there's a quote from a Will Ferrell movie, Kicking and Screaming, where uh, you know he's coaching like fifth grade soccer players, and he's like, "Guys, I've been noticing some sloppy play out there. What are we doing?" And I think we're gonna see a lot of sloppy play if we're seeing any play. I mean, James Blackman is going to be playing under his fourth offensive coordinator in as many years, and then you got to break in, you know, Justin Hamilton. Granted, he's been in the program, but uh, I mean, it's going to be completely different. So that 70% fitness level definitely rings true as well. On a, just, just, just a quick anecdote for everyone to understand, like the way that it does work and you did a great job hitting on this, Dave is during the off season, like you have spring ball and then you have a week and you go home, but then there are these quote unquote 
voluntary workouts. And I don't mean like, you know, from a, you know, they're out here killing the kids, but the leaders of the team get out there. And this is why the senior driven classes do so much better because you head in the bubble off the coaches, give you a playbook, you go over it, you do walkthroughs, the, the seniors are leading it. And this is three months of you doing that. And that's why I say your relationship with your strength coach is the most important yeah. because all of the coaches are out recruiting. But that's really where you're winning games and where you're developing and where you're getting better. Camp is more so getting in shape. Camp is more so getting ready to hit. But where you're learning the playbook and you're learning how to do football things is in the spring and in the summer. So, um, you know, you're missing all of that. Uh, so you got to get in football shape. You got to get in, you know, hitting condition. And you have to learn a playbook in a very condensed time frame. And by the way, everybody's got to come back to campus and get ready for school. So it's it's – it's, it's, it, it, it's something else. And my heart really does go out to these kids and, and even these coaches. I mean, you know, I don't mean to say by name, but I mean, coach Cutcliffe, like he's an older guy. You look at Hugh freeze last year, who was coaching from a hospital bed in a, in a, in a press box. Like this is dangerous. This is dangerous in general. So it's just, you know, we could talk about this all day, but um, you know, we can all take a deep breath here and move on and just talk about some, Normal stuff now. I don't think there's many other storylines that we can go over, or there are, but it just doesn't make a ton of sense to talk about things that are up in the air. Um, so, Pat, why don't you kick us off with some more general laid-back talk to bring us home here? Yeah, David, this has been great. Um, so we're going to do rapid fire. We like to do a little rapid fire with our guests that we bring on Sons of Saturday. So, uh, first of all, and we're going to keep it ACC theme because we love the Atlantic Coast Conference. So, uh, first thing that comes to your mind here, favorite ACC stadium? Uh, Clemson, probably. I mean, you can't argue with that environment. I, I will say the press box situation at Wake Forest is surprisingly good. That's probably the most really? comfortable from a media coverage standpoint. I give Wake Forest a lot of credit there. Good, good media meal. You can get a, you can get a mellow yellow out of the, uh, out right. of the soda, soda wow. uh, cooler. And you get, and, and the nice thing is I, I always, I always say like, it's, it's people make fun of the small schools. I, I get to spread out in the press box. I consider that a win. That's awesome. And then uh, best uniforms in the year 2020. Ooh. Uh, huh, that's a good question. I don't know. Can I just go with Syracuse as an alumni that I say Syracuse? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, favorite retired coach that you've gotten to work with or interview? Oh, well, I got to say Mark Richt. I've, he was the guy I cut my teeth covering when I first got out of school. And then now I get to work with him here at, at ESPN. And he's a lovely human being uh, who is, I think he's like our next generation Lee Corso. Like you never quite know what's going to come out of his mouth, but he's also incredibly smart and successful. So uh, yeah, I'll go with Mark Rick. And then ba- uh, best ACC basketball venue or experience that you've had. See, people will want you to say it's Cameron. I hate being in Cameron. Uh, but I'm, so I'm a Cubs fan, too. I'm a huge, lifelong Cubs fan. There's no place I'd rather go watch a baseball game than Wrigley Field. But I used to cover baseball, and I worked at Wrigley Field, and there's no place I would let, rather not work at a game than Wrigley Field. Cameron is sort of that way. I think it's awesome to go see a game there. It's an environment unlike anything else you're going to get. But if you had to be in my shoes and sit on press row – and you can't even like reach your laptop because you're being squished from behind and you can't wear a white dress shirt because it'll end up with blue paint all over the back of it. Um, that's where you have to kind of draw the line a little bit. So I'm, but again, as an alumni of Syracuse, I have to say going to a game of the dome is my, is my favorite. In turn, I do not like going to the dome by the way, for what it's worth. <laughs> Reasonable. <laughs> um, so when was the last time you were in Blacksburg for football or basketball? Ah, that's a good question. I was up there for basketball the year uh, two years ago when they played Duke without Zion, and that was one of the loudest basketball games I've ever been to. Tech mm-hmm. fans were on point that night. Yeah, uh, I was up there. I don't think I was up there for a football game last year. I was definitely up there for like some reporting and covering stories. But a couple of my best friends graduated from Virginia Tech, so like I, you know, I've had done some. I've made some bad decisions in Blacksburg <laughs> going back decades now. So. Uh, I like getting up there, and and it's probably one of my favorite college towns to go and visit without question. So on that note, when you go to Blacksburg, do you have somewhere you always go, always go to eat, grab a drink? Uh, What is on your uh, to-do list when you do end up in Blacksburg? 
Well, so I am discouraged from getting a rail at top of the stairs anymore. That is, <laughs> I think I'm not allowed to do that for uh, legal reasons anymore. Uh, so I grew up, uh, I grew up like in Northern Delaware outside of Philadelphia, DP dough, like started there. Oh, wow. Uh, but I can't, so I, we used to get DP dough like every day in college, how I wasn't 600 pounds is beyond me. Uh, but then I didn't get it for like 10 years because I had no access to it. So every time I end up in like Virginia Tech, if I'm just up there for the day, I'm like, ah, I'll go get DP dough for lunch just cause it's like, that's a good old, old fashioned reminder for me. Gotcha. And then what about uh, the best ACC team you've ever covered since joining ESPN? Ooh, I, I probably have to go with the 13 Florida State team. That team was just a freaking monster. Jameis was so good. Yep. You know, Kelvin, Kelvin Benjamin, I, I said the day he was drafted, I was like, this guy's going to burn out in the league quickly. But, like, he had more talent than almost anybody at receiver I've covered. I love Devontae Freeman. was great. Um, LaMarcus Joyner. Talvin Smith, I mean, Timmy Jernigan, those, they were, that team was just absolutely loaded. So much fun to cover until all the shit hit the fan with Jameis. And then it wasn't fun to cover at all anymore. But they were a really good football team. I guess this is, this is not necessarily rapid fire. It's more so of a, you know, I don't want to get into a huge discussion on this. But um, in terms of basketball, you know, everybody's kind of glossing over basketball. What do you think is going to happen with basketball? And where do you think the ACC basketball game tournament should be played? Because it shouldn't be Brooklyn. <laughs> no, I, look, again, as a Syracuse alum, I miss going to MSG for tournament games. I was a big mm-hmm. East guy, though. Uh, and I'm all, for, I'm all for going to MSG, you know, every four years or something like that. I think it's a great recruiting and marketing tool for the ACC yep. to do it. But I, also, I, maybe this might be biased on my part, but I like having games in Charlotte because you get to walk to them or add to them. But I also think Charlotte's the heart of ACC country. Yep. You've got an actual NBA venue that you can play in. I think you, you t- make the most of that opportunity. You know, the, the, the SEC really has been really good about turning Atlanta into an SEC city and making the most yeah. of that. I think the ACC would be wise to do that same thing with Charlotte. I don't mind the idea of them kind of moving it around every few years, but I think your home base should stay in North Carolina. Um, but And to answer the earlier part of the question, which I don't really have an answer to, as tough as things seem for football right now, there's a part of me that thinks it might be worse for basketball because mm-hmm. trying to play indoors like that. I, and and you got a lot more of the older coaches uh, within basketball too. I mean, I, I just – boy, it just looks like a problem to me. Now, having said that, I talked to Jim Beheim a couple of weeks ago uh, when we were all still in quarantine. And I was like, Jim, don't, you know, you've had cancer. You've dealt with all that. You're, you're in your 70s. Like, are, are you worried about getting back? And he's like, I am literally dying sitting at home watching Netflix. I would rather die on a basketball court than on my couch watching Netflix. So I, there's your answer on basketball, I guess. Yeah, we, had, uh, we had interviewed uh, Coach Young a couple weeks ago, and he said the same thing. I mean, it's, it's, their, it's not just their job. It's what they love to do. You know, it keeps them young. And um, at the end of the day, it's, it's what they've been doing forever. So um can completely understand that but uh to take us home here we're going to do the letters from the lunch pail so these are write-in questions that we got um and first one is from willie hansen a good friend of mine he uh he asks what's your favorite game day atmosphere including tailgating and everything that goes into it of everywhere i've ever been lsu is the answer pretty much hands down but then again if you go to louisiana for like anything it's a good environment um so lsu is probably my favorite clemson's great uh, don't get me wrong. Um, is I the hill better probably... than Enter Sandman, though? I gotta, I gotta ask. You no, that. Enter Sandman's better. Uh, okay, as sort of an entrance. The hill is just a little contrived to me, I guess. But like the experience of like being at Clemson for a really like the Notre Dame Hurricane game and was it fifteen or the Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson Louisville game? I mean, those are some of the like I'll i'll go to my grave remembering what those experiences were like that was that was unbelievable i will say miami florida state and and i'm not a big fan of either stadium environment miami's or florida states but when those two play each other it is like being in like a back alley like you're just in like a bad part of town like you are just worried about yourself even as like a reporter like there's just energy and it's not good energy for those games Got one from uh, from Karsten here. Who is the worst ACC fan base that you have to deal with on Twitter? And if you could go back and watch one ACC game live again from the past 15 years, which one would it be? I think he just answered that. 
yeah, I think the Lamar Jackson Deshaun Watson game would be my answer to that. I don't know how you ever topped that. That was so friggin' good. Um, which dovetails with my answer to the initial part of the question, which is it's Clemson fans without question. Oh my God, they are the worst. No offense to them. There's many of them that I like very, very much, but as a group, they are the worst. I used to say it was Miami fans, but I think they've been beaten down enough that they actually are not quite as bad anymore. Clemson fans are just so angry despite all of their success. I'm like, no, you got to enjoy it. And I can get behind an angry fan base. I'm from Philly, but like, you know, you got to you gotta chill a little bit. Not everything is an insult to Clemson. Uh, you know, not everything Clemson does is perfect. That, that's, uh, yeah. I, uh, and as a tail note, as a side note to all of this, I should also mention the worst ACC experience of my life, which was when I was early on in my career, uh, I covered Georgia and Georgia Tech. And I happened to be covering Georgia Tech when they won uh, the Coastal in 06 and played Wake Forest for the ACC championship. And I had to go down to Jacksonville, which is where the ACC championship game was at the time. Uh, it was raining. I didn't have my parking pass in advance. I had to really work my ass off and wander around like the entire stadium in the rain to get my parking pass. Um, I remember I checked in and they give you like your media gift. And it's in a box and I didn't open it because I was there late because of the parking pass debacle. And so I go and sit in my press in the press box. I cover the game. It was brutal. Nine to six. Reggie Ball was horrendous. Uh, just a f- awful, awful experience. I go down to the locker room after the game. Reggie Ball wouldn't talk to media. Um, it was just a horrendous experience. I come back up to the locker room after, or to the press box after the locker room to write my story. And somebody has stolen my media gift. Oh and to gosh. this day, I have no idea what was in that box. Uh, so that bothers me. And then the, the, the tagline to this whole story is we were at ACC kickoff a few years ago and uh, there's a handful of people sitting around the table. And I was sitting next to West Durham and a couple of buddies of mine and then a few people that I didn't recognize. Uh, and we're talking about like, you know, games that we covered that sucked. And I ta- started talking about that game. It was the worst game I've ever been at. Turns out I was sitting at the table with Riley Skinner, who was like, that was actually the best game I've ever been a part of. <laughs> uh, that is so fantastic. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason the ACC should ever be in Jacksonville. So I don't uh, know that, that city's not – yeah, I went to the, uh, the cocktail party game. I would argue nobody game. should be in Jacksonville regardless, but yeah. yeah. Oh, I've been to a few cocktail party games too, and even those I'd rather see them on campus. Yeah, I was – it was fun, but it was a little underwhelming. Grant Watson – so this is a this is this is a t- this is kind of hard to do with all the schedule changing up. ACC matchup you're most excited for? I would get to to kind of audible on that. What is the storyline? I guess that you're most looking forward to. Oh, that's a good question. I uh, I will again. I'll go back to Derek King. I'm very fascinated by what will happen with him. I think he's probably the most intriguing player in the league. And Miami is just a really intriguing story in general. I like Manny Diaz. I know he's a very smart guy, but that was a really bad start to his coaching career there. Um, you know, we say Miami's going to figure things out every year, and they never quite do. There's more talent on there. That team should, certainly shouldn't be a 6-7 and seven team. So, I, I mean, if I'm from a reporter standpoint where I'm saying, like, what's the best story? Either they're good or they're bad. It's a good story. It's probably Miami. Um, but I mean, individually, like I, I don't think there's a more fun player to watch in the league than Sam Howell. I think he's awesome. I, I'm a huge Sam Howell fan. I'm looking forward to watching him. Um, I think the fact that this could be, I, I certainly hope we get to see Trevor Lawrence play another game of college football because we are all lucky to have been around to see him play college football. Um, but, I mean, even that, I mean, what, what does Virginia Tech's defense look like after so many years with Bud Foster? I mean, this is – I feel like that – like, the, the idea that there's a non-Bud Foster Virginia Tech defense hasn't even really – I mean, I'm sure in Blacksburg people talk about it, but nationally it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that Like because there's so much other stuff going on. So, uh, And then you got, you know, you got the new coaches in the league. Uh, certainly Boston College I think will be – they've got more talent than I had probably initially realized. I think it'll be very interesting what happens there and – um, and then, you know, look, I thought Louisville was as fun to watch as anybody. I think the perfect, the perfect formula for a fun team is one that can score a bunch of points and can't stop anybody. And Louisville fits into that, that bracket very nicely. So, uh, I don't know. I've just given you like, I've listed every team in the league. So there you go. I'm not super excited about Georgia tech, I guess. Sorry. The ACC <laughs> is excited again. Look at that. You're excited. <laughs> We're all excited. We just got to play. Sons of storylines. Okay. So we got, we got two more for you. Matt Green, this is kind of funny. 
because uh, you kind of etched about it with the Clemson fans. Why does Duhale hate us and call us Vodtech? <laughs> I, you know what? Here's just, I never actually have said Vodtech at like like verbally said it. I just abbreviated it that way. Like one, and I feel like I had done it like a dozen times at least before then. But like this one time, I had like twenty fans jump all over me about it. I'm like, wait. Why is this? A, why are we nitpicking this? Will you have something better to do with your day? And then, like, this is my advice for people who get annoyed by stupid things like this. I get annoyed by how annoyed you are by the stupid things, and so I will double down on them. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, it, it escalated. It escalated. But in fairness, I I gave them the out of if they beat Florida State in that opener, I would never type Vatek again. And Caleb Farley and the rest of them, sure enough, made sure that happened. So you're, you're off the hook from ever, ever having to see that from me again. Yeah, well, unless we lose a bet or something. Right, well, we yeah, do, we, can, we can bring it back. We do appreciate that. I will say, though, ESPN, you know, I, I don't know how much, how much pull you have, but we're, we get the graphics wrong a lot. We get called Virginia a lot. We, the, 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 the picture is wrong sometimes. Um, you know, I just think we could do a little bit better, you know, and, and the Vatech thing just kind of, you know, it's a, it's a poke in the wound. So, you know, I get it. I get it. I get it. You're going to have to get in line behind a whole lot of other teams. I know the, the, <laughs> the UCF fans who still are like getting, Oh, don't put us Central on that Florida. Oh on. man. They just Come get on. so mad. So anyway, yeah, that's true. Everybody's mad on the internet. And here's the last <laughs> question. Here's the last question that I got. Uh, this is a write in from me. Um, this would be a huge storyline if, uh, if, the world was normal, but who do you think is a good nominee for ACC commissioner as that, uh, as that spot opens up here? So my, if I were to just say you can hire anybody to be your ACC commissioner, I would hire West Durham because I think he is the single greatest voice of the ACC that has ever been and a great guy. And, uh, you know, I know I can uh, feed him a few beers and he'll leak the information to me. So I would vote for West Durham. Uh, but if we're looking at more realistic candidates, uh, I think Dan Radakovich, the AD at Clemson, would be a really good uh, hire if they wanted to go that way. He's really forward thinking. He's very business savvy. Uh, I think Clemson would hate losing him, but I think he'd be a valuable asset. I think the ACC has to hire a football first guy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just been too much of the triangle that gets, and I think, you know, whether it's Virginia Tech or Florida State or Clemson, the, the, the real football powers get pissed off about it every all every time something controversial happens is like oh yeah there it is the fix is in again by the by the north carolina crew running the the acc i think they need to get away from that uh i I think the other guy that that, uh would be worth discussing is john wildhack the ad at syracuse who came from espn um look i think obviously we have tv contracts that are going to be coming up at some point the the network launched but still needs a lot of support behind it and the fact of the matter is we are in a vastly changing media landscape where the way people used to consume college sports is not the way they consume it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would put him in that mix just because there's a level of expertise and understanding from the media side that is going to be really hard to replicate. I think if you're looking at it strictly as a, as a media business endeavor, as an entertainment product, I think wild hack makes a ton of sense. I think if you're looking at it as we got to, maximize our football uh, revenue and make football the, the, the crown jewel of the ACC, then I think Dan Radikovich makes a ton of sense. Mr. Hale, this has been a ton of fun. Really appreciate it. If uh, you do not already, shoot him a follow. And, and Mr. Hale, I just want to give you an opportunity to let everyone know where we can uh, read your work and uh, give you a follow. Yeah, you can follow me at a David Hale joint on Twitter. Uh, you can find my stuff on ESPN.com. We, uh, Speaking of the older coaches and all the people who potentially could be at risk, I got a story coming out tomorrow, maybe the day after on that, uh, like the number of uh, folks who might have underlying conditions, all the risks that are there that are beyond just the healthy, elite 18, 19-year-old athlete. So uh, keep an eye out for that. But um, yeah, if you really want to annoy me and have random arguments about things like Vatek, then uh, Twitter's the way to go. That's where... I can't promise a ton of football content on that. Most of it just becomes Simpsons quotes, but, you know, well, I'll do what I can. Dave, thank you so much. We'd love to do this again, and uh, fingers crossed for football, and hopefully we see you soon. For sure. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.